Hello, I'm Alex Rupkeen. I'm a barrister at Thurkin and Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm really pleased to be joined this late afternoon in the shed by Dr. Nula Kane. As people who've watched one of these before will know, I, I don't like introducing the person other than, as it were, here's the name. And I want them always to be able to speak for themselves. So Nula, over to you. Just tell us a bit about yourself and, and your background and your interests. Thank you, Alex, and thanks for inviting me to the Shed and I series, which is very exciting. Um, so yeah, I'm Nula Kane. I'm a trainee psychiatrist. I'm specialising in general and older adult psychiatry, currently working with uh, people with psychosis. Um, but I'm also a researcher and I'm uh, doing a doctoral degree looking at complex capacity assessments. Um, and that's as part of the Mental Health and Justice Project, which is very interested in ideas around decision making capacity and decision making support. Um, so as part of looking at sort of these difficult or complex capacity assessments, I've been looking at both data from the Court of Protection, which in England is the arbiter of the Mental Capacity Act. Um, so sort of really difficult decisions get brought to court and then the judge has to grapple with whether the person might have capacity or lack capacity for the specific decision. Um, I've also, um, and, and I'm currently working on an interview study as well, so rather than in a court setting, looking in a general hospital setting, how liaison psychiatrists are grappling with these difficult sort of capacity assessments. Um, but I was hoping to talk about the court work today, because I think it's what we've done essentially is look at um, 10 years of court protection cases, specifically looked at the judgments that are published um, and looked at all of the cases where capacity is grappled with in any meaningful way. And we're really interested in looking at the why of capacity. So essentially, why does this person have capacity or why does this person lack capacity for this specific decision at this time? And what are the reasons or explanations or rationales that the judge or the expert witness is giving in order to come to their decision of why the person lacks capacity or has capacity? So digging into that, the, the, the why, the, 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 the rationale. So let's just sort of break this down because obviously we've got at one level, we've got a mental capacity act which says, you know, can you understand information? Can you use and weigh information? Can you retain it and can you communicate your decision? Like, why do you need anything else? Why don't you just say a person can or can't do this? So sort of just help me through why, why we want to dig deeper than that. Yeah, I think that's like a really great question. And I guess the answer on a personal level for me comes from my clinical experience. Because I think when we look at the, the letter of the law, when we see phrases like understand, retain, particularly user way, I think, um, these can be somewhat sort of blunt or abstract terms. Whereas in clinical practice, we're dealt with, we're dealing with um, real people in really difficult real life situations. And we're trying to apply the sort of black and white letter of the law to the real sort of color of everyday, you know, life that people are going through. So, I think it's very interesting and I think there's a bit of a gap between the law and what's actually happening um, to people in practice. So we were really interested in looking at the why behind user way. So what does user way really mean for this person? Can they use way? What does that actually mean in this case? Um, so essentially looking at how these kind of general terms become more specific and can be applied in, in real life cases. So how do we get how do we get from the general to the specific, do you think? And how yeah, do courts, so let's, well, I suppose so we start with how do you, how do we think, how do you see that from your work, how do you see the courts get from the general to the specific? So we looked at the judgments and we looked at the kind of rationales that the judges and the experts were coming up with. And we found that there was loads of different sort of 
rationales and different types of language used in different cases. So we decided that we wanted to put some kind of organization or structure on what was actually going on to really try and make sense of it, to see if there was any patterns. And this is where we came to this notion of a typology. So what we did um, was try to sort of, as I say, find these patterns, find the, the structure and organization. And, and we ended up with um, nine different types of ways to sort of explain or um, give a rationale for why someone has relaxed capacity. And we could see that across these nine types, there were many, many examples, like hundreds in some cases, of a person, of, of this rationale being used as a, why a person has capacity versus has a person, why the person lacks capacity. So I think it's easier if I talk a bit more specifically. The mm -hmm. um, so one really sort of basic example is something like the ability to remember. So the judge might make the case, well, this person can't retain because they just, they're not able to remember information or they can retain because they can remember. I think that's a very simple one. But if you look at something like user way, it becomes a bit more complex. And user way is explained in lots of different ways. So one example is that a person can't imagine different options. So for example, you imagine a person with, say there's a person with autism or learning disability, and they um, are being given various options of where they might live. So perhaps the social worker is concerned that their current environment isn't suitable for them and is encouraging them to make the decision um, to move to another environment. But somebody who has maybe a severe learning disability might find it extremely difficult to even imagine what a different environment might be like if they haven't experienced it themselves. So given a sort of option of these three options on paper and then trying to imagine it might be really, really difficult for that person. So that was sort of one rationale essentially was about this idea of kind of imagining or abstracting. And we thought that one actually was particularly interesting because we thought that somebody who's having trouble with that sort of rationale, with having trouble with that ability to imagine, um, you know, might be more suitable for a particular type of support, for example, giving them a concrete experience of options. So I guess overall, we're thinking that the more we know about what is the problem in certain people's decision making, the more we can help in terms of support, but also the clearer we are about our concerns about decision making, um, the easier it is to then have a discussion about that, to, to be transparent about what's going on, which I think is extremely important given the given the, the sort of gravity of the kind of decisions that often come up um, following these kind of capacity assessments. Gosh, there's so much there to unpack. Um, so let's sort of just take it, I, I really want to come back to the, the support aspect because I think that's really important, really important. But just for a second, staying with the, the, the idea of, of digging into a rationale, and, and you've, you've talked about, for instance, imagining and abstracting, Let's just just help me through with the kind of well, where how do we know where either that sits or should sit, as it were, within? We've got to get to the black letter of the law somehow, you know. Otherwise, otherwise we're not done. As it were, you haven't produced a determination which applies the Mental Capacity Act. So, just sort of help me with the bit, the bit, the bit between you know you've experienced a phenomenon, you've identified it, and then how does that how does that track through? Yeah, so, so when we were actually doing the research looking at the judgments, we found, and it was a bit worrying to be honest, that often people were using these kind of rationales that were quite separate from the language of the law, and then at the end coming to a conclusion about capacity, sometimes not even making a clear link with user way or another one of the abilities, the legal abilities. Um, so we, we figured that's quite a big problem. Um, 
So that was in some judgments. In other judgments, there were much clearer links which were really helpful. So what we decided to do was to go through sort of all these rationales that were being given, individual rationales, and to see whether or not they were linked to different MCA abilities. And we found really interesting patterns there. Um, so for example, um, you know, retaining was strongly linked to remembering. I mean, that's that's sort of obvious. You'd hope that would be the case. Um, understanding was quite interesting because it was linked to two. So the MCA category of understanding was, was linked to two different sort of rationales. So just under half the time when people were talking about understanding, they tended to refer to sort of intellectual grasping of information. So really comprehending the language of the relevant information and just sort of grasping it. Um, but on a second, you know, in a second sort of just under half, again, about four, just over 40%, um, understanding referred to something a bit different, to something that we called appreciation. So it was more about understanding how the information actually applied to them and to their situation. So that was sort of a deeper understanding, a different type of understanding. And it's seen that when people talk about MCA understanding, sometimes they talk about just sort of literal grasping of information, but sometimes they talk about that sort of deeper understanding that the information actually applies to them in their situation. So that was quite interesting that there was a bit of a split there. User way was really interesting. And I find this interesting because when we do interviews, for example, we often ask, um, when we did our interview study, we asked the psychiatrist, well, what does it mean to you to use your way? And there was a myriad of answers. So people thought use your way was something almost different every time. So we looked at what of um, which of these kind of rationales or these abilities were linked to use your way. And we found that again, there was a wide split. So it wasn't like remember, uh, retaining, which is mostly remembering, or it wasn't like understanding where there were sort of two camps. But in user way, um, this could mean appreciation. And um, so understanding information as, as you know, coming, uh, being relevant to yourself. Um, but it could also be sort of reasoning. So things like being able to think flexibly, being able to balance information. Um, it also sometimes came down to imagining. So that was sometimes linked to user way as well as to understanding. And it also sometimes linked to the idea of valuing, which is kind of something that came up in a number of cases and I think particularly was interesting in eating disorder cases. So where we thought of valuing, where we saw valuing in eating disorder cases, there was one really nice um, quote, which um, was, a fear of putting on weight became the card that trumps all others for this person. So for them, they might be weighing up the question of, of feeding or certain treatment, but the fact of not wanting to put on weight, the fear of, of not wanting to put on weight that was characteristic of their anorexia was the thing which sort of skewed all of the person's ability to weigh because that became the most important thing no matter what. Um, and that was clearly linked to the anorexia that the person had. So valuing, I think, is quite an interesting idea. And it did come up in you know, several instances across the judgments as well. So I, I think what we saw was user way is a really heterogeneous concept. So lots of people mean different things. And where we see the typology sort of being useful is that when you're saying, you know, this person lacks capacity, the first question, why? Uh, you might say because they lack the ability to use their way but there's a second why after that why do they lack the ability to use their way what does that mean in this individual case and that's where we want to know if it's about a problem with valuing or a problem with imagining or a problem with reasoning or appreciation because I think that's really important in grappling with what the actual decision making issue is for that person. Gosh so that I mean there's sort of there are a couple of ways one could look at this one of them could be you've just made a very compelling case that this is all utterly arbitrary 
in the sense that you know we've identified that people are using illegal legal terms in just a completely especially under using way just a whole range of different ways so there's no agreement about what it is which means it could be entirely arbitrary so that's one way of characterizing and i think i just actually i'm just gonna as a throw that at you and see see what your response is based on the work that you've been doing i think the idea of that happening is what sort of spurs me on to do this kind of work because I think that's a terrible, terrifying thing to happen. Um, because I think capacity decisions are so, can be so instrumental in somebody's life, like decisions made about a person's capacity can have really severe consequences for them, whether it's taking them away from their home or you know, forcing them to have medical treatment that they don't want. Any of those decisions are really, really important. So I think the idea that it's arbitrary, first of all, to say is, is quite scary. Um, I think when we look at the heterogeneity of the idea of user way, I don't think that necessarily means arbitrariness. I think rather it means that people are different um, and people can lack user what using or weighing in, in many different ways. Um, and that I think we just need to do a bit more work to look at what actually are the psychological processes that are going on um, you know, behind sort of different decision-making problems. Um, and I suppose the other thing to say is that in the sort of typology work we did, so we found nine categories, not sort of 900 categories. So we did manage to, to see that, you know, there were hundreds of instances of certain um, uh, decision-making abilities such as um, appreciation for example or reasoning and some of the others there were maybe 60 instances but even still there were these were concepts the concepts in the ty typology were concepts which got you know really substantial airtime essentially over this 10 years of judgments which suggests to me that there is some sort of meaning or importance to them and that the pattern is sort of legitimate and it's not just a sea of sort of arbitrariness yeah I mean, no, that's, I was really interested to hear, as it were, your, your response to that challenge. And, and what, one other way, I suppose, is from a sort of legalistic perspective is, is, well, you could either say it's just people repeatedly getting it wrong. You know, experts, judges, you know, both clinicians, social workers, judges repeatedly getting it wrong over and over again. Or you could more charitably say, well, as you're saying, there's a cluster of phenomena not on a complete total kind of mayhem there's a cluster of them and that if you do that work that you're identifying as it were bridging the translation gap between the word and the person you're engaging with if you start doing it in one of these ways you are within from a sort of legal perspective a range of reasonable responses you know this is a this is a legally reasonable response you are allowed to think about appreciation you are allowed to think about valuing because this is something that the court, as you said at the beginning, the arbiter over the, you know, this 10 years, there's enough, as it were, there's enough of it there that if you're doing this work, you're allowed to do this. And as you're saying, if you do this, you are then making it more transparent. You're making it clearer. Yeah, and I really think transparency is key. Um, and I sort of, I take the point that you're saying, and I think that's something that we really grappled with as, as researchers. Um, I think that whole idea of, you know, just because it's in the judgment, does that mean it's something that we want people to follow? Does that mean it's good or right or, or that we should um, use it as guidance? So I think that was in some ways a tricky question because the judgments aren't perfect. However, I think 
again, it comes down to transparency. So if we can see that these are the sort of concepts that judges are using, and we can sort of name them and categorize them and figure out, you know, often the judges are talking about appreciation. I think if we can identify that, we can then have the debate about is appreciation a good reason, is not being able to appreciate that information applies to you actually a good reason for denying somebody um, or saying that someone doesn't have capacity and denying them their autonomy in that circumstance. And I think without kind of seeing what's actually going on in practice, there's a lot of things that are happening almost implicitly. Um, and I think to make those things explicit allows us then to challenge them if there are certain justifications that are being given for people lacking capacity that we don't think are, as, are acceptable as a society. Because I think essentially it's about what as a society we feel um, is acceptable when are the acceptable circumstances to take away people's freedoms in this way um, and I think that's a judgment we have to make but I think if we don't know what's actually going on if it's a sort of black box where an assessor is you know assessing capacity and then coming out at the end and saying they can't use their way and we don't really know what it is that they've said I think that can be really hard on on the person on their family and on anyone who wants to challenge the the assessor as well so I think if we know what their grounds are what the reasons that they're giving I think those discussions can be had about those reasons challenges can be made about those reasons and it just becomes more transparent and people are more accountable as well. So I said I wanted to ask about support, and I think it's really interesting that when I, when we started talking, you were almost defaulted to, if we can identify this, this enables us to think about support. So can I just get you to amplify that a bit? Because I, I, that to me is ter is incredibly interesting and important. Yeah. Because otherwise, this could be just seen as a list of ways to do people in. I was going to use that phrase myself. Sorry. No, no, I think that's it's interesting. And I I guess it could be seen as a list of ways to do things, and absolutely it could. Um, I hope that it could also be seen as a list of people, a list of ways rather to, to get people out of being told that they lack capacity, as in because there's a flip side, there's we've seen many examples in the judgments of a person being said to being able be able to appreciate, be able to reason, be able to give reasons, be able to imagine. And I think that's really important as well. But I think the support point is really, really important because we know that in the Mental Capacity Act, one of the principles is that, you know, before somebody can be found to lack capacity, you have to give them all the possible support, all the practicable steps have to be put in place in order to support them to make the decision themselves. That essentially is the goal of the Mental Capacity Act. Um, and I think it's something that in practice could be improved upon. Um, I think what what I use the imagining example because I think that's such a good example. Like if you can't imagine sort of abstract options, then of course you should be given the concrete experience. You should be allowed to visit different residential options or, or whatever it is, maybe spend a bit of time there to see how you like it before you make the final decision. I think that's something that's really sort of practical and concrete. I think where it gets more tricky is in terms of things like appreciation where maybe somebody is seen you know not to have insight into presence of for example a physical health condition or mental health condition and I think that's where it's tricky how do we change a person's insight how do we change their belief system their ability to appreciate but I think until we kind of figure out what it is that we want to target support at then we're not going to get very far in researching sort of innovative ways to support people and um, so I think it's 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 the more we know about people's decision making processes the better. Gosh, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, there's, there, there's so much there to unpack. So 
in the last couple of minutes, where are we going with this? What can we look forward to next from this work, do you think? Um, so I would be hopeful that people um, are able to take a very structured, so a more structured approach, both the judges uh, in the judgments, but also, you know, people assessing capacity on a daily basis in health and social care, that they might see that it's important to make, you know, to take a very structured approach to, to how they do that and to be very clear that they need to justify what's going on for this person. Um, I think that then brings about the question of, you know, support. So if they're saying that a particular the person has a very particular inability or if they're giving a very particular rationale, they should need to show why have they not offered the support that might be appropriate for that inability. I think that's also mm. um, important. And I think the, the next step then, of course, is research into different ways to support people who have different problems with decision making. And I think that's that's hopefully what will come next. I think the idea, the idea of the, the bit you mentioned about, as it were, the challenge in relation to appreciation or insight, I, I, my, my, I have to admit my mind is slightly boggling at yeah. support in that context, but, but that idea that if you can't identify what it is that you're troubled about, that's the first problem, and then you can think about, well, how can, you know, what can one do here? I think that's, that's an incredibly, it's going to be a very challenging and interesting area to work on. I think probably, you know, the whole area of neuroscience will have something to say about that. The cognitive neurosciences working on metacognition, for example, might be able to do things like that. But I also think there's maybe simpler things you can do. For example, you know, I guess making things more concrete for people, involving friends and family um, to help sort of support the person, to give them sort of different perspectives and so not just a medical or a clinical or social work perspective. I think those things are really important. It's also important to think about what is, what's causing the problem with the person's insight. So if it is, for example, psychotic illness, um, can the person be supported regarding treatment for that? Um, I think there's lots of different ways you, ways you can do it, but I'm hopeful that sort of as technology you know as the neuroscientific advances come into play that we'll have even more sort of creative ways to be able to support people brilliant well Nula thank you so much for thank you so much for your time and I'm really looking forward to when this when this typology is published so people can grapple with it for themselves and they they can see it but you've given such a clear and uh, overview and, and stimulating overview so thank you so much no problem thanks Alex